not so formal. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-hosts, Ms. Purrington and Mookie. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, our uh, upcoming festivals page, and our 2023 FPIA page is live. Keep up with us on Instagram. We're best known, of course, for our events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW, where 100% of the entries you see come from comics and producers. If you want your show featured on the calendar, click the Submit a Show from the top of the homepage or events page to complete the short survey. It's free and easy. Tag us on your Instagram stories, and we'll share your show promo. Want to share these resources? Sorry, not share. Do you want to support these resources we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Click the Support CW icon on our homepage to see the ways that you can help us. Now back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today we're talking to somebody who's been performing for a while, but I'm pretty convinced that 2023 is his year. Uh, He's done sketch and stand-up in both San Antonio and Austin. He's a prolific podcaster, with his most recent one being the Gray Area Podcast, and he's also uh, got the Black and Tan Podcast, and he's a frequent guest on the Feedback Podcast with our friend Bach. He checked off a bucket list item when he got to do commentary for independent wrestling promotions, Sabotage Wrestling, love that name, and Heavy Metal Wrestling. And in April, he released his full hour special, Family Man. And that intro is going to get you kind of in the, in the heart there if you, if you catch it. Uh, and, and it was recorded at the gorgeous East Austin Comedy Club. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Aaron Cheatham. I don't know what to say after that intro. <laughs> Holy cow. That was great. <laughs> I am like awestruck right now. Like, wow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> did you not realize you do do all these things? I didn't realize you knew I did all <laughs> those things. <laughs> hey, Aaron, I do my homework. I, I do see. My homework. <laughs> I see. I was like, yeah, I did do some commentary. I did do all that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Look at me. Look at me go. <laughs> Made me sound like somebody. I like that. I need you, you to are... take. I need to take you everywhere with me. Just. <laughs> Thank you, can you. Just copy that and put it into your new bio. Done you know, and done. <laughs> done and done. I need a copy of that, please. Drop it in the Dropbox for me. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. This is Absolutely. like that's. I don't know if we we're gonna be able to top that intro, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, as I've mentioned, you approached me, and uh, I I know that you have been on my list because when you approached me, I'm like, God damn it, he's there. He's on my list. And I think even it was um, it was Josh Castro recommended that I talk to you. Mm-hmm. So this was you know pre-COVID days, and uh, I get so sidetracked sometimes, and then festivals interrupt me, mm-hmm. and then there was COVID that interrupted, because I just, I didn't like doing Zoom, yeah. Zoom interviews, so I, I um, at one point I went back to Zoom interviews, but only for comics that were not based in Austin, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, I'm glad, because I, you know, you would have, I would have had to keep scrolling down to see. 
hey, the, the squeaky wheel gets oiled, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. And I, and I want that to be a lesson to anybody who's listening, that if you are a comic and you'd like to sit down with me, I'm not going to tell you no unless, you know, the word on the street is you're a terrible human being. Right. Uh, but if you're... I was worried. I was like, am I a terrible human being? Why have, why <laughs> no. have I never been on Comedy Wham? And I see all my friends have. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, am I that bad? No. What is the word on me in the street? No. Who's talking smack? <laughs> the word is that Valerie, you know, has a long list. And, yeah, squeaky wheel, for Sque- sure. Hey, I Good learned that you. lesson the hard way. Yeah. Well, and you're in the comedy world, so you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to hit up, you know, a, a booker and say, hey, I'd like to be on the show. No. Or you don't even get an answer at all. Right. And then you put in your work, and then you say, hey, can I be on your show? Nothing. Put in more work. <laughs> And then, yeah. and then you just start your own show. Yeah, yeah. and then there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's always that route. Yeah. No, I've, I've always wanted to, like, I've, I've always appreciated what you guys do. Oh. Uh, like, I write with Rochelle. Uh, we've been, for oh, the last, like, nice. uh, I'd say like month and a half, we've been meeting up once a week. Oh. Uh, and, we, and we have little writing sessions for a couple of hours and whatnot. So, I was like, man, like, I, I should probably reach out to Valerie. Like, I'm hanging out with Rochelle writing, and, you know, she was, like, working on an article one day uh-huh. uh, and asking me my thoughts on something. And, uh, you know, I, I gave her a quote, and I was like, wait a second. Let me, let me, <laughs> hey, Valerie. <laughs> let me be on your show, please. <laughs> oh, my God, I love Rochelle so much. Oh, great people. She's, she's, she's great yeah, people. Absolutely. Great people. Yeah. Uh, just working with her over the, like, past few weeks is... Uh, She's up like I like working with people with different perspectives, mm-hmm. uh, and and especially like in the early phases of the writing phase, like working with people that maybe sees things a little differently from you, and because uh, you know just when I'm telling her an idea, and she says the first thing that comes to her mind when she hears it is like I didn't even think about that. <laughs> there there are there are definitely people that think this way. Uh, let me look into that. Yeah. You know, so like I I love her perspective and being able to bounce ideas off of her and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Yes. Um, do I have to watch my, my language? No, you do not. Word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was listening to that special. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to get that version of Aaron. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I didn't think it was that bad. But, like, my wife's, uh, like, she sent it to all of her aunts and stuff who've uh-huh. been wanting to watch me do that, do stand-up. And, like, every family reunion, do something for us, do something. Aww. I'm like, yeah, pay me. And uh, <laughs> you're her family. Um, <laughs> Give you a family discount, but you're still yeah, paying. Yeah. <laughs> and so they watched the special, and she's like, all of her aunts were like, oh, my goodness, his language. And I was like, I didn't think I was that bad. but It's not that bad, no, but it's like, oh, I noticed it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, when you speak to me, like, in a setting like this, I may not have that candor, yeah. but, yeah, you know. You get on stage and I kind of, I don't think. Yeah. And so however it comes out, it comes out. Because when I think, then yeah. that's when I make mistakes. Mm. But when I don't think, I'm just whatever. But I remove that filter. Well, that's where, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. So, yeah. but right now I'm in a, it's three in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> and didn't you just have like a kid's birthday party or something? Uh, oh, that's tomorrow. Tomorrow oh, we have that. Tomorrow. Yeah, we were supposed to have okay. a kid's thing, but. That's why it's good to have a two-parent household, uh, so that way I don't have to go to yeah. all of those things. I don't <laughs> nice. have to. I don't have to do that. I left them at the house playing Xbox. So good, good yes. dad, good dad move there. Uh, I do. I actually have an official icebreaker question okay. for you, and that is one word to describe your past. Mm, one word. One word. 
Look, as you saw in the special, my vocabulary base is not very large. Um, <laughs> I got lexicon. See, that's I have. A, I, I yeah, to describe that I don't have a lot in my lexicon. <laughs> One word to describe. Um, the first word that comes to mind is complicated. Um, I like the first word that comes to mind. That that one and perseverance hmm. uh, are the first two words that come to mind when I think about my past. Yeah. Uh, uh, if if I had a few more words, I could elaborate. But uh, <laughs> yeah, complicated but perseverance. Yeah. 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 Uh, you share in your in your special that you uh, you grew up in Mississippi and then you moved to San Antonio and. Uh, one of the things that I, I liked in your special was talking about the culture shock, which I would think going from San Antonio to Mississippi would also be a culture shock. So you went from, you know, from one, either direction you're going, these two cities that have the potential, or I, Mississippi's not a city, uh, wherever you were. Uh, Biloxi. Okay. Okay, so two cities uh, where culture shock could happen for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I'm a, I'm a military brat. Okay. Uh, so I, I was born in DC and when I was on my third birthday, we moved to the Philippines Ooh. and we were in the Philippines until second grade. So like from three until into first grade, second grade around there. And then we moved to Mississippi and my mom retired in Mississippi. And then we kind of bounced around cause there was family stuff going on, but uh, so for me to uh, underscore the, the culture shock of going from Mississippi to San Antonio, this is somebody that lived in different places like yeah. across the world. And and that was like and that was jarring going from Mississippi <laughs> to San Antonio. You know, I went yeah. from the Philippines to Mississippi and I was like, hey, <laughs> but then I went from Mississippi to San Antonio. And I was like, oh, hey, What's yeah. this is different. Like it was uh and this is Mississippi in the 90s. Okay. So it was still, um, yeah, like my my Little League baseball coach was in the Klan, and it was like public knowledge. Everybody knew uh, that he was in the Klan. It wasn't like a secret yeah. that coach was wearing sheets every Thursday night in the woods burning cross. Like that wasn't a secret. We yeah. all knew that. So to go from that environment to seeing my first Mexican like, and, uh, and hearing people talking real Spanish uh-huh. and, and just like, that was jarring. Cause it's not the same. It's not even the yeah. same. And I mean, I grew up on the Gulf coast. So like I grew up 45 minutes from new Orleans. Uh, so Mardi Gras was a big thing growing up down there. I mean, we got a week off of school for Mardi Gras every year. Wow. Uh, like voodoo and Creole culture is, are big on the coast, but Coming to San Antonio, it was just like, like, I was just there last week with my family uh, celebrating my anniversary. And when you're there, it, the, the, the culture there, the energy there is a very family-based. It feels very family-based. There's like, this is going to sound weird to say, but you could feel like love. There is a warmth to San Antonio. Like as... In your 20s, probably not the place you want to be because you want to get out and do stuff. But, yeah. like, when you get a little older, like, you can appreciate the fact that, like, this is a place that's built on family. Yeah. Whereas you come from Mississippi and it's like, 
it's built on um, it's built on something completely different, like yes, <laughs> a lot different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, we don't have to the go into, of, but yeah. So and I mean, just I got into like my first day in Mississippi, uh, I got into a fight because you're three. No, no, no. Uh, okay, second grade, second grade. <laughs> okay, second grade. Second grade. All my right, first right, day right. there, I I got into a fight. Uh, I mean, we're we literally have the Mayflower truck moving stuff in the house. I'm meeting all the kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. We're living on base in base housing. And a kid that lives two doors down uh, introduces himself to me and then tells me that my mom is a nigger bitch. And in second grade, I don't know what that means, but I know that, like, I have to do I can't just, like, I, I know that he said something very mean about my mom, but I, don't, yeah. I didn't understand what those words meant. So I got in a fight with him right there in my front yard, first day in the neighborhood. And that continued. Good Lord. For the entirety of my of my life in, in in Mississippi, there was always that that was always in where I say San Antonio felt like feels like family, like Biloxi in the '90s felt like survival to a, to a, to an extent. Like yeah. you could tell there was a division, there was there was a vitriol, a hatred in there. I do have a lexicon. Uh, <laughs> there was there was definitely like. A darkness in the air yeah so to move to san antonio it was like moving into the light hmm. you know into this warm place where people like accepted each other and not everybody was the same and you know living on base it's like that because people from all over the country are living on base together but once you stepped off base and you're in the real mississippi like there's they're very uh brazen about it you know, yeah. I mean, when we were in the Philippines on base, same thing. It felt the same. But once you stepped off base, you're in a third world country. You know, there were cattle carrying water and doo-doo water coming downhill. There's a smell once you got off base that like was that I, I can recognize to this day. Wow. Uh, so and so moving to San Antonio and being in an area that's like not everybody kind of like loves each other here yeah. you know because everybody's kind of at their family groups or whatnot and and the communities and it's a real it's a real vibe no matter what part of san antonio you live in it's a real vibe man and that was eye-opening for me you know also at the same time like i'm going through my parents divorce so the war everything was in flux and to be in a place that that was that it was positive for me it was a good change for me to be in san antonio at that time like that was the perfect time for me to find that energy yeah and how old were you when you moved, made the move to san antonio 13 okay Thir yeah 13 right. my parents broke up when i was 12 so i was like 13 when we moved to san antonio mm -hmm. yeah uh in like halfway through eighth grade okay All right. and, and then i was there through high school yeah i i can relate to a lot of what you've said uh, about the san antonio i i actually spent five six years living in san antonio in my 20s yeah and i love san antonio there's so much to do Go Spurs, you know, when they were at the old old uh, stadium or, or arena um, before the monster of arena of AT&T and whatever it's become now. Um, so, you know, I, I, I agree that there's a whole, there's such a different vibe about San Antonio, certainly compared to, to Austin. Yeah. Um, and now that I hear you talk about San Antonio, I have an appreciation for the things you were saying about living in San Antonio and your special because I I hear the the warmth and fondness of the city coming through. I mean everything from um, 
you know, the, we were talking before, you, you've, you've come in with a, a cup that has Selena on it, and you, you talk about that in the special, and yeah. then you, you just very casually slip into Spanish uh, in, in your set, and it's like, oh, things you picked up by, by living in, in, in that city. Yeah, don't try to have a conversation with me in Spanish, yeah. but I, I can get some stuff yeah. off. <laughs> Yeah. Enough to validate myself, but that's about <laughs> it. Don't don't try to get too deep. Ask me about my feelings. I don't know. <laughs> so being this, you know, some, somewhat international kid who's moved around, what role, if any, did, did comedy have in your life growing up? Uh, it's funny you ask that. Um, I was really quiet hmm. um, growing up when I was younger. I was very funny with my friends, but... If you weren't like in my immediate friend group, I probably didn't talk. Hmm. And growing up, like I used to try to make my dad laugh. And so that was my thing. Like he'd pick me up from baseball practice or after baseball games or whatever. I'd, uh, I, would, I used to like read joke books and I would try out jokes on my friends so that I could try it on my dad and see if oh. I can get him to laugh. And he never laughed. This dude never broke. Oh. He would just... He'd be driving with a with a Newport in his mouth, and he's just like, "Don't quit school, kid." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Man, I was killing that school." So then I'd you know go back to the joke book and I figure stuff out, and I, I kept at, every day or every chance I got with a new joke, I would uh, I would I was always like studying jokes and stuff so I could try to find a way to break this guy. Uh -huh. And then my parents divorced, and he was gone, and I didn't have that person anymore uh -huh. to do like the person I was trying to make laugh like. He wasn't there no more, hmm. but I was still, still got all these jokes. And now that I didn't have the outlet of my dad, then it turned to like everybody else. Then once the divorce happened, uh, we moved to San Antonio and I, I went from the quiet kid in school to all of a sudden the class clown. Wow. And, and it was a weird feeling for me to be like, oh shit, like, <laughs> why are you doing this? <laughs> Stop saying things, <laughs> you know, in my head. I'm just freaking out. Like, I can't believe I'm talking like this. Uh, but I needed that outlet still. Yeah. You know, I had gotten so, you know, I, I, I I've had a love there. And then the person that I was doing at four or two was gone. So now I'm doing it with everybody. Uh -huh. And it, it, and I mean, especially going through the divorce and the moves and all that stuff. Like, I would, uh. I had a cassette tape. I would record like HBO specials and stuff. And like I took that tape with me like everywhere. I had it for a long time. And I would, you know, record over and add new stuff too. But uh, like it, it, it was my outlet yeah. growing up, you yeah. know, with my dad. And then when he was gone, like, I, I mean, I would just like Robin Harris. Uh, this may be a bad name, but Carlos Mencia. Uh, <laughs> You know, those old 30-minute HBO specials, Damon Wayans, yeah. uh, watching those, like, that stuff, like, kept, gave, me, gave me focus, I guess, gave me life, you know, at a time where it was really dark, and I was trying to figure out where I fit in the world. You're already, I'm already, like, my balls just dropped. I'm just, I'm a t <laughs> you know, like, puberty's hitting, so there's already yeah, a lot a of weirdness going on yeah. there, and at, add on top of that, like, my parents split up, so I don't have my dad around anymore, and we moved from... You know, we were in Mississippi, then Georgia, and then to San Antonio. So within a year, I lived in three states, so there was a lot of flux going on. But the one constant I had was like I, I had I had comedy fallback. I had like you know 
things to trying to make people laugh when it wasn't my dad, then it was my family, then it was everybody. Uh, that that was the one constant though through those turbulent years. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to talk to your dad about how you were trying so hard to make him laugh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we talk about it now. Like me and my dad are very close now. Yeah. Uh, we had like a sixteen year break though, where we just hmm. didn't. He wasn't around. Yeah. Um, and then I found him when I was like twenty eight, twenty nine, and we have a great relationship. And uh, yeah, we've talked about all that stuff, and yeah. especially like because I talk about him on the special, and I mentioned that uh, in the special, and uh, and I tell a story about him, and and I've told him that I've I've had the chance to tell him, and. I don't know. Here's the thing. Still today, though, I feel like I'm still trying to make him laugh. Yeah. I'm still trying to like validate that uh, that I'm funny <laughs> to him. Like even now, it's crazy. Uh, Is he secretly <laughs> just trying to make you work harder? Man, I don't know if it's secretly, <laughs> overtly. Uh, yeah, because he's just an old school black dude, and he's like, right, does it make money? <laughs> Mm, I'm just saying the same thing he used to tell me when I was a kid. He used to say, "Don't quit school." Today he tells me, "Don't quit your job." <laughs> like, Dad, I got a special. It's got thirty thousand views, man. What are you talking about? Dude? He's like, eh, uh, you know, don't quit your job. Just, I'm just saying. Like, All right, Dad. Like, I, I still feel like I'm trying to, and it's a weird thing. I don't know if that's a guy thing that, like, you know, we we hold our dads in that high standing, um, where he's like, and I, I guess, like, you know, girls have daddy issues and stuff yeah. but i think the 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 male version of daddy issues is like trying to like get their acceptance or the validation yeah. from your from your dad that that i'm a man and i'm doing things yeah. you know and and he won't give it to me so at least <laughs> at least not on the comedy front yeah. he tells me i'm a great dad and all that shit i'm like that's cool but like do you laugh <laughs> do you laugh like he watched the special and he was like the only the first thing he said to me was like, I mean that was cool and all, but uh, why you had to make me look like a bad guy at the beginning? And I go, well, that was not the point of that story. That was not the point that you're a bad guy. That was like how I got here, man. It was you were the catalyst. And he's yeah. like, mm, catalyst sound like a bad guy. He's like that's not what I'm saying at all. So funny. So yeah, like my my dad was was a big driving force in how we got here and how the comedy thing happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you you obviously did perform start performing in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. What was the catalyst for you finding a place to do comedy? How did how did that? It was a long time coming when I started. I started on my twenty third birthday. Oh my god! You had joke books when you were thirteen. Uh, Why yeah. so long? I had to live. Mm. I had to live a little bit. Mm. I had to, and I had to, um, I had to, I had, I kind of needed to push. And there were a lot of things that happened along the way that led to that moment, uh, to where it was like, oh yeah, this is inevitable. I have to do this. Huh. Uh, but I needed to, I needed to explore before I got there. And when I got there, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Like, <laughs> Uh, All this time, I had, and you realize. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to be able to, like, I could recite entire specials, mm. mannerisms, word for word, perform, like, I mean, uh, Steve Harvey's special, the one he had the yellow suit. I knew that backwards and oh. forward. I don't remember the name of it right now. Um, maybe one man. But uh, 
I remember like I could at a drop of a hat I could give you the entire special Dave Chappelle killing them softly I could give you the entire special word for word mannerisms pause everything but then when it came time to do it myself I was like I don't know what the fuck I am doing what got me there though is um it was a, it was a couple things there's a few events that happened that definitely pushed me to getting on stage when I was 18 I was at a family reunion in Philadelphia and they had a comedian come perform at the family reunion hmm. and he did okay but he then he did like a, a dating game type thing and he brought up people from the audience and he brought my granny up and my granny is a is a is a key figure growing up uh side note she went by miss delicious um <laughs> <laughs> like you would call her phone and it'd be like hi you meet you reach miss delicious i'm not here right now but leave a message and i'll get back to you bye <laughs> So, <laughs> so my granny is a character uh -huh. in, in herself, right? So they have her up there. She's the chick. And then they bring three guys up. So they bring up me and my uncle and my cousin. And I destroyed. Like I, I off, the whip, off the cuff, just dropping dimes. And yeah. everybody's going crazy. And my family's like, you might want to be a comedian. You're doing really. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm just up here. Yeah. And then, uh. But that was like the first time I felt like what a real big laugh in a room feels like. And it was just goofing off on stage, right? Yeah. Uh, then I did a, at my church in San Antonio, Living Way. If you ever go into San Antonio, you're on I-35. It's that huge church on the right-hand side when you first get into town. After you pass 1604, there's that big mega yeah. church. Yeah, that's my church. Wow. Um, now, it wasn't the big mega church when I was going there. To the left of there is a smaller, really big building, and that's where I went to church at. And every Easter, they would do, uh, they would do this production called I Give You Jesus, and it was like an Easter play. It was a huge spectacle. I mean, they turned the church into, like, Nazareth. <laughs> like, they built this whole huge set, and we put on this big production every year, the entire month of April, like, Four shows a week or three shows a week. It was like two shows one night, one show another night, and sometimes on Sunday. It, it was ridiculous. And you had to audition for parts and all this. And, uh, and, and I did that. And every year I got like more parts. It was, you know, like I'd be an extra in this one. I'd, have a, I'd be like a main character, like background main character. Like I was a demon in one year, two years. Two years I was a <laughs> demon. Uh, so I was hanging out with Satan. That was dope. <laughs> But I saw, and also in the same play, I was a leper that Jesus healed. Oh so I played like I, but it's like whatever I can get in, like I'm doing everything. Yeah. And like they, I remember one year, we were doing the leper scene, and I, I had to be in that scene. Like it meant everything to me mm. to be in that scene because Brother Herman, uh, sang the song you, uh, uh, you, you. Oh, I can't think of the name of the song right now. But he sings the song, and it was, uh. See, that's going to buy. Oh, I'm clean. <laughs> he sang a song called I'm Clean. It was amazing. Um, and Brother Herman is Priest Holmes' stepdad. Uh, Priest Holmes went to our church. He's an NFL player. One point held the record for most touchdowns in the season wow. with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and so, like, that, that was my dude. And his dad was, like, in the choir with my mom. And his dad, like, had this song that was amazing that he was singing. It was like, I have to be in that scene with Brother Herman. So that I, like, I just wanted, because I loved that song and I loved that scene. And then it was like, I, not only do I have to be in this scene, but I got to be like featured right next to him. Because right? I need to be as close to him as possible for this. So uh, they're doing all these auditions. They have like 10 lepers. And I remember like after we get cleaned, everybody runs off. 
And Sister Becky, the director, was very upset with the way it happened. She's like, you need to be excited. You need to let them know. Like, you just got healed from leprosy. Uh -huh. he, Jesus just saved you. You don't just walk off and go, oh, thank you, God. And like, you need. So she made us all go one at a time. Uh -huh. And when it's my turn, oh, oh, I was a black lady at a funeral. Like, ah, Jesus, <laughs> rolling on the ground, getting up. Running and I'm running around there like yes, you do that every time. Oh my gosh! So that's what so and everybody's dying laughing. So they're like, you got to do that every time. And it's like, all right. And so I do that every time I get to be next to Brother Herman. Say less. Yeah. So I mean that was like, those are like the little the building blocks that yeah. you know that I, I have this in me. Uh, then I'm in college and I'm working uh, at Kirby Vacuum Cleaners. I was selling Kirby Vacuum Cleaners door to door during the summer in college. And for uh, Jeff Romeo, who was the largest dealer of Kirby's in like North Texas, right in the DFW area, um, and he had this thing he where probably we probably sold one to my mom. I probably <laughs> she did. loves does she, no. she loves vacuums. Oh well, then yeah, and, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so hilarious. I might have been in your mama house. <laughs> I might have been up in there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that G5 and whatnot. You know. What I'm <laughs> Uh, you know, the <laughs> ultimate six, Kirby, the one with the shampooer on the, oh, the man, attachment. If you start talking to her about vacuums, man, we can have a whole day. For hours. Um, so I'm doing that. And when Jeff hired people, he kind of was like, Did you watch Flavor of Love? Flavor I did. Okay, so he was kind of like Flavor of Love, where when you got hired, you got a nickname. And that was your name from now on. Uh -huh. So I'm, we're going through the hiring process, and we. He hands us the paperwork for like sexual harassment, goes over that. And it's like me and a couple of other people. And uh, he goes, so once you sign that, then that means you acknowledge the sexual harassment policy, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so once I sign this, then like I'm liable for saying anything crazy. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, hold on. And I look at the chick next to me and I go, hey, so what's up? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, you should be a stand-up comedian. And I was like, oh, yeah? So my name was Stand-Up. So on the board, on the sales board, like he wrote stand up and that was my name. So that's how everybody referred to me as stand up. So I had all these things yeah. that were like going, that happened along the way that were pushing me towards that. I leave college, go back to San Antonio, uh, living with one of my friends and I'm, it was there. I, I knew I wanted to do it. I just didn't know how. Yeah. And a choice meeting, I was working at Walmart. I met uh, Sonia Smith. She came through, was a... Uh, uh, trying to buy some shoes in Walmart, and she was talking about how she was doing this comedy show, uh, and I was like, "Where are you doing comedy shows at?" And she's like, oh, "I'm a part of this group called Comedia Go Go, and uh, you know we do shows here here. But if you are looking to get into stand up, you should go to River Center Comedy Club on Fridays. They have an open mic at five. And I was like, "Then I will. Huh. Then I will." <laughs> and and then it was like that's was like okay, now I know what I'm doing. And I went there that first time on a Friday, and I sucked <laughs> sucked hard like uh you knew that you sucked oh objectively okay. i sucked uh and the, the funny thing is so when i get there it's my first time ever in a comedy club or not in the comedy club i've been to i went to hyenas in fort worth uh but uh my first time performing on doing stand-up and i didn't know that like they wrote the jokes out <laughs> as much studying as i did yeah. i didn't i didn't realize that this was all written out and 
all that like i thought that they just had all this stuff in their head and they just spit it out mm -hmm. i didn't know that they actually sat down and wrote jokes and all of that so i showed up i didn't have anything written i didn't even think about it i thought i was just going to go up there and be funny and i go to sign up and the guy there at the time the scene was very small this is 2004 uh the scene was very small and so when i showed up they knew i was a new guy and uh, he says I don't remember the guy's name that was the host that day because he was only there that week. Then he was leaving for L.A. the next week. Huh. And he was like, uh, first time, check it out. You're going to suck. I'm just telling you this ahead of time. Like, you're going to suck. Yeah. Everybody does. Don't get mad. Come back. Do it again. But make no misunderstanding. You're going to suck. Yeah. And I was like, fuck you. You don't know who I am. Oh, man. And then I went up there and you seen 8 Mile? I have not, actually. There's this, At the very beginning of the movie, Eminem uh, is getting ready to go up and do this freestyle battle. And he gets up there, and he's nervous, and he just freezes. And he just kind of st stares at the other guy and just goes, yo, yo. That was me for five minutes. Oh, gosh. I got up there, and I had nothing. I, and I just kind of stared. And I remember looking down at the stool and asking if it was wicker. And that got a laugh. <laughs> and then I go, okay, how much time do I have left? And they're like three minutes. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> uh, but so I sucked. I sucked terribly. But then I went back the next week. And uh, actually that same day. So uh, Jay Whitecotton was there. Hmm. Uh, Jay, Jay is a very old friend of mine. He was there the very first time I got on stage. And uh, oh. that was the day we met. And he had been doing comedy maybe a year at that point, a year and a half. And he was like, did you write anything? I was like, write? No. And he's like, well, that's your first mistake. You got to write <laughs> jokes, son. Like, get a notebook, write jokes. Think, anything you think of during the day that's funny, just write it down. And I was like, oh, well, shit. So then that's, that, that was the genesis. That was the first time. And after that, uh, I was working in the shoe department at Walmart and in the shoe boxes. They have this little piece of cardboard that's used to keep the box level that's in them. So whenever you take a new box down, you open it up, you take that piece of cardboard out or stick it under the shoes because now it's going on the shelf. Well, I would take all of those pieces of cardboard and I would write my thoughts on them throughout the day. Smart. And so every time I thought of something, I would just grab a piece of cardboard out of a shoe box, write it down, stick it in my schmuck. And then I'd leave there and my schmuck would be like <laughs> bulged out with like tons of, like I had so many of these that I still find them. And that was wow, 19 years ago. Yeah, I, I still I still have some floating around, but I had like trash bags full of cardboard things that I had written down. And then finally, I got a notebook and I transferred those ideas to the notebook or whatnot. But if I was like at work and I just needed to write something down, yeah. cardboard, write it down, stick it in my pocket, and 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 that was the beginning. That's how it all got started. That's yeah. how that's how we got here. Or, how, how do you go from Okay, I'm just going to stand up here and the thoughts are going to show up in my brain to somebody telling you, no, you got to write, buddy. And then you're, you're writing things. But what are you writing? Are you writing ideas? Are you writing actual full out jokes? And how do you figure out what you need to do in order to start actually getting more laughs than pointing out the wicker stool? <laughs> um, White Cotton played a very big part in that. Uh, if you know Jay, you know he's a very cerebral person. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the early parts of my career, 
he was very integral. We were integral in each other's career very early on. We were we were we were one. Mm. It was it was a one two punch. We often uh, we were always booked together, and we were always following each other. Like we were always paired up, and we wrote together after that. So he uh, he I started writing ideas down, and uh, it started off just me writing down something funny that I thought, whatever I thought that was funny, basically premises and yeah. stuff. I'd write all those down on the cardboard paper and stuff. Then uh, that that was when I had to get a notebook because when I showed up to like our first writing session and I just got cardboard, <laughs> <laughs> all these cardboard pieces, and he's like, "Dude, get a notebook. What are you doing? Like, what is this?" And I was like, no, man, I got another idea. It's around here somewhere on one of these pieces of cardboard. You look under my hat. I'm just like, uh, and and he was, then he showed me like how to formulate a joke and stuff, and like how to like the the basics, the the the, the bare minimums of like writing. And as he was learning and developing his style and his techniques, I was learning with him. We were writing together. There was like for a couple years there, you could tell that we wrote together because we both sounded alike. Hmm. I, I sound I would have smarky, you know, really smart things that, that you could tell was influenced by Jay. Huh. And he would say, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, you got that from Cheatham. <laughs> that extra fuck at the end. That was Cheatham right there. Uh, I mean, we would do stuff like um, like if we were back to back, say Jay was going first and he had 10 minutes, he'd do like seven minutes. And then I'd come on stage and be his hype man for the last three minutes. And we would mm-hmm. do that. And then go right into my set, and and or vice versa. I'd be doing mine, and he'd come up. We do the hype man, or we do whatever. So we would just blend it together. And then he uh, was doing a karaoke business, and then I went in with him on that and ran some karaoke shows with him. Uh, so the the Jay was very instrumental in teaching me the basics and whatnot. And also Scott at River Center, believe it or not, uh, the manager. Uh, a lot of people didn't like Scott. Scott made me made me actually like write and I didn't like it at first uh but he he was like I don't want that Def Jam shit here hmm. if you want to work at this club you gotta you can't you can't you can't be having nigga as your punchline huh. you gotta you know you gotta actually write yeah and I was like well what the fuck what, you know I'm all you tell me you see that crowd the freaking crowd is dying out there what are you talking about and <laughs> I was like very upset and, and Jay was like no he's right though he's like you gotta stop you know, taking that cheap, that, you know, that shortcut. And he's like, I got to stop saying motherfucker all the time. I got to take, I got to get rid of that. So it was like, it made me like write for a reason to, to fit into something. Uh, that maybe uh, hurt me a little bit later on, but at the time I needed that structure. I needed that discipline to yeah. write a certain style so that I could, you know, and I could still put my own flair on it, but I needed that discipline early. So Scott, you know, making me actually have to uh, step outside of what I thought was funny and find a way to fit in that world, yeah. uh, in, that, in, the, in the club world, world definitely. Because, you know, being a club comic and being a bar comic or a cruise comic, like, they're all very different. You know, it's all about being funny, but yeah. what they're looking for you, the person booking you or what the venue asks for. Uh, is very different between the three. You know, what you need to do to get over as a comedian at a bar is very different than what you need to do at a club. So uh, learning learning that at a young age uh, in comedy was very essential. Yeah. 
Very essential. So yeah, that that's how, that's where I learned the writing. It was those two in the infancy of my comedy career saying, no, 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 you're better than that. You have to just try. You have to actually do the work and try. I, I'm really struck by you, you and Jay being like a tag team partner. And uh, last year I talked to Josh, who was basically, you know, tag team partner with George Anthony. Mm-hmm. And then I think about uh, Tori Poole. And I'm thinking all of these names are really strong storyteller comics. Is that a San Antonio thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that was something that I noticed very, very early on. Mm. Like, we hated it when Austin Comics came down. <laughs> hated it. Yeah, we're not. Uh, very few. Right. And, you know, Austin Comedy, especially in the early 2000s, was a very cerebral comedy. It was very smart. Mm. Um, it was very, uh, like, the references were very niche yeah. a lot of times. And that didn't fly in San Antonio. And when we got, you know, Midnight Madness Show, River Center which was like the hottest show and uh, you, comics are coming down from Austin. It's like, there's only 11 of us on the show. We give two spots to Austin guys. And it's like, <laughs> man, I got to follow them. Man, why are they going to come down here and fuck up our show, man? Like, why they got to come down here with all that smart shit? Cause the difference is San Antonio breeds uh, great entertainers, great performers, uh-huh. uh, because that's what the audience dictates down there. They want you to be big. They want you to, you know, they want to they want to go there with you. And and Austin bred great writers. So it was like, you know, these and it's not that the Austin comics weren't funny, it's just nobody wanted to hear that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd come down, it's just like, ah, god damn it, here they come again with all that fucking oh, Star Wars, and it's like <laughs> <laughs> keep in mind i had star wars jokes too i mean uh, f- not, uh hold on put a pin in that um but yeah it was uh the 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 scene down there the audience down there wanted us to be bigger performers they wanted that you didn't have to be as smart as long as you were fun yeah. and interesting and you know we're gonna laugh if it's funny we don't care you don't have to be pc that's that was kind of the scene in in, in san antonio and then you come up here and it's like Oh, he's really loud and he didn't say anything. Hmm. So it's like, oh, so like that was another for me, another turning point was like, oh, now I gotta, now I gotta do that writing thing again. I was getting over with being charismatic and, 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 and charming and, yeah. and good looking. And <laughs> <laughs> well, the flip side to that is when, when, you know, George and Josh, um, you and Jay started being more more prominent in in austin like you were a different flavor Mm -hmm. like it was like interesting yeah and you know it it mixed things up in the in the scene what um i don't want to overlook everything that you did in san antonio but uh since you knew that the san the austin comics were you know writers but they're not storytellers uh how was it for you to to move here it was hard at first. It was very hard. Um, I didn't. I, uh, I didn't like. I didn't like having to start at the bottom again. If I'm being honest, yeah. Uh, that 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 was not appealing to me. Um, and when was that move? So I moved to Austin in 2008. Okay. So uh, you saw the 
blowing up, you know, pre-COVID, the blowing up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, scene. But I also, like, when I moved here, I didn't feel like I fit in. And, like I said, I didn't like starting at the bottom. I didn't like having to, you know, go to Cap City and do three minutes on the mic, you know, wait through 30 people to do three minutes. It's like, I can go back to San Antonio and do 20 minutes and get paid. Yeah. Why would I... Why would I go sit at Cap for an hour and a half to do three minutes mm-hmm. when I can go here and like I, I don't have to start over. I can just keep going back. So I didn't do a lot up here. But when I did, like when I would go to um, uh, uh, Kick Butt back then, it wasn't – I didn't feel like I fit in. Yeah. And then I took a six-and-a-half-year break from comedy. Hmm. I was gone like I from 2009 to like 2015. I – I wasn't I wasn't doing comedy and uh when I got back in it was like well it don't matter where I go I started at the beginning now you know and I and I kind of needed to repay all my dues and stuff yeah and it was it was different it was it was still a little difficult um because it wasn't the style that that I was comfortable with and and the style that I that I I had it's like man like I don't suck it's just I do my style isn't the same as this and so it made me a little um oh what's the word not uncomfortable uh a little insecure and especially because I'm just getting back into it you know I I, I've got all of you know the cachet of everything I had done in the up to that point um and the knowledge and experience but I've been gone for six years so but you you knew that you were a good storyteller I did but you felt like if I'm going to start over, I got to start over in the Austin style. I, I had to learn it. Hmm. I had to learn it. And I definitely needed to learn it if this is where I'm at. Hmm. Uh, and to be honest, like that was the best because it made me a better writer again. Because I knew like they, they're. You mix the two. They, they can't. Yeah, together. they don't write. They, they write very well here. So yeah. if I'm going to get booked here uh, or work here, like I have to adopt that. I have to actually, hmm. you know. There is merit to it. I would watch sets and be like, oh, it's not bad. It's just not my my flavor. But it's still funny, and there's still, there's a lot to learn from these really, really smart writers we have here in Austin, the really clever yeah. writers that we had here. So then I applied that. Like, you know, then it was like, okay, well, then I can be a good writer and also a good performer. And so as I started to marry the two styles and – and get secure or confident in myself again and you know start oh man you know i'm getting back into the swing of it and uh there were times where it's just like once i started i say 2019 2019 was a was a 18 19 doesn't matter around then around then i did a i did a show i quit my job at fedex i don't know if i was supposed to say the name but i did um (laughs) I had worked there for 11 years. That's why I left comedy for six years. I got promoted to manager yeah. on the night shift, which meant like... Oof, no stage time. No stage time. Yeah. And people were calling and, and I kept, oh, I got to work. And then my phone stopped ringing. Yeah. And so it's just all of a sudden I'm not doing comedy anymore. I might do like a, a one or two sets a year. Like somebody would be like, hey, come do 20 minutes at this thing. It's like, mm-hmm. okay. And I'd go and I'd suck because I hadn't performed in nine, ten months. And yeah. then and then go suck that one time and then like I'll be on the stage next year maybe, uh, so because uh, it was just hard there was no consistency with my job, so uh, when I got back in it was, 
took a minute to get comfortable and confident again. When I did, though, I left, I left FedEx 2018, and I was like, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to take the next year and just focus on comedy. Mm-hmm. And in that year, I did festivals all over the country. I went on the winery brewery tour, traveled all over the country. Uh, and when I came back, I, I had a new confidence in myself. I went and did a show with Pierre in Dallas. And this was like my breaking point. Uh, I did a show up there and it was an all black crowd. And Pierre's a great comedian. I didn't know it at the time because I just remembered him from uh, How to Be a Player. And, you know, his, he was on Def Jam and all that. But that was 20 years ago. Huh. And I was like, I didn't know how good he was. Right. So I'm sitting there watching him and it's like, this dude is an amazing storyteller. And it's like, he was far more technical than I had given him credit for before watching him work, yeah. you know? And I was, I was just expecting a Def Jam comic. No, he was a prolific storyteller. And it was like, holy cow. And it's like an older, all-black audience. And I did eh the first night. And the second night, they stared at me hard. <laughs> I mean, it was dreadful. Huh. It was dreadful. And to make it worse, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but Pierre and the the venue owner booker were having an argument backstage and I had no idea this was going on and there was nobody to tell me like, Hey, extended, keep going. So I did my 20 and I go to bring him up and nobody comes out. Oh no. And I was like, fuck. (laughs) Fuck. So then I had to like, okay, here's some more shit you don't want to (laughs) hear. And then Here's Pierre, uh-huh. and he doesn't come out again. I was like, oh, my God. Fuck. That's the worst. And it's like, okay, so who wants to do the electric slide? Let's, <laughs> you know, I got to figure something out. And then in the middle of me trying to figure it out, he comes out and give it up for Aaron, da, da, da. And I was just like, I remember how mad I was. I, was, I wasn't mad at him or anything of that situation. I was uh-huh. mad at how I got that reaction. I was so angry. And I was like, this shit is never going to happen again. Hmm. I, 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 this shit's ne- I, I will not allow this to happen again. I was very mad. So right then, that night, I went and I had never read a comedy book. But I remember telling, uh, I remember telling my friend, whatever them white boys know, I need to know that shit too. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is they're doing, I need to know that shit too so this shit don't happen to me ever again. Yeah. So I ordered three books and I started reading comedy books. And like then actually, you know, the stuff that me and Jay had talked about a decade before making more sense again and it, and it made me write better and i and from that day forward i was like i'm not bombing again not like this yeah and to be honest with you i haven't not since then have i had sets that aren't good by my standard yeah um but i hold myself to a very high standard so there's plenty of sets i'm like eh. Yeah. but anytime i feel that way it's like well what can i learn from tonight and i and i learn watch the tape learn from it so that doesn't happen again uh but after that day I come back to Austin, and this is 2019, 2018, 2019. And I remember going, getting booked at Halcyon or some show, and watching. I was closing it out, and I'm watching, and there's like six people on the showcase, and they all sound the same. Hmm. Whether it was uh, a male, a female, a girl, it didn't matter. Like they all sounded the same. They all had the same you know, style yeah. and the same kind, it was all kind of 
sounded like. It sounded like the Aust- like Austin comedy. And uh, there was a time where I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I got to. But I remember this specific day I'm watching this going, oh, I'm about to tear this shit up tonight. Yeah. Oh, if all of y'all got all night long as this, when I hit the stage, you're about to get some shit. Yeah. You know, because I knew that, like, at that point, I was like, I am writing better than I've ever written. And I'm more confident in myself than I've ever been. And I know I can do the performance and storytelling and all that stuff. So, and I went up there that night and had a fantastic set. And that's when it dawned on me, like, oh, man, you know what? Austin's not that bad. They all sound the same and I sound different. Exactly. This is actually not as bad as I thought, you know? (laughs) It took a change in perspective uh, for me to realize that, like, oh, wait. Sounding different isn't bad. Yeah. There's actually strength in not sounding like everybody else and bringing my own spin to this thing. So around then, around 2019 is when it all started to click for me, where it was like, okay, I I understand who I am, I'm comfortable with who I am, Mm -hmm. and I'm confident for like the first time in in a long time, I was actually like self-confident, at least on stage I was. Uh, <laughs> let's not talk about real world, yeah. but on stage I was very confident. Yeah. Um, I was unflappable. It didn't matter. You could, somebody could throw up in the middle of said. I, I mean, actually a fight has broken out in the middle of me being on stage. <laughs> and I was, I had strep throat. I was performing with strep throat. A fight broke out on stage and I didn't miss a beat. Just... That happened, guys. Uh-huh. And I ended up doing like 45 minutes that night with a fight breaking out in the middle of my set with strep throat. And I was like, Lord. oh, man, you know what? I love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I live for. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, man, that was, that was when I definitely realized there was a place where uh, Austin was a place. And it's this place where you can sound different and still connect. You yeah. know, you don't have to sound. I think when I was trying to fit into the Austin box. I was very unhappy. And once I said, no, this is me. Right. Then it was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah. I, that's the lesson that everybody has to learn mm-hmm. at some point is, you know, think of, I don't know, uh, think of a Casey Rocket. You know, he's, he's his own thing. And, you know, him trying to fit into some other box or standard wasn't no going to work for him. No way. But once he figured out crab <laughs> I'm a crab. <laughs> <laughs> just a picture of grimace looking jacked <laughs> then you know then he becomes one of the most popular comics in Austin. such a rascal such, such a, a rascal for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you've got all this momentum and then what happens in 2020 you know to how be devastating on- was that at first it was but to be honest with you like i thrived I thrived in 2020 because, huh. um, I mean, comedy dried up, obviously, and I, I just, like, in January 2020, I was in Seattle and Portland up there for 10 days doing shows, and then, like, a month later, COVID happens, mm-hmm. and it's like, ew. Mm-hmm. I was just around all of them, and it just popped, ew. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, everything dried up, so... I had to get a job, so I, I got a, a job in my neighborhood at a uh, at a very big store, and I remember thinking, like, if I can come here every day and be around people, like, I have a higher risk of catching COVID at my job 
than I would ever have at a comedy show. So fuck it. Because hmm. I'm, I'm going to work tomorrow. I, that's, not a, that's not debatable. I got to go to work. Yeah. And at this place, it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big company. It's a Fortune 500 company. And there's people around, customers around all the time. Like, I have a higher chance just clocking in of getting COVID than I can have at a comedy show where I can dictate how close or how far I get to anybody. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, all the shows that were happening were outdoors. So it's like, I don't have to be around nobody. I hit the stage. There's nobody around me. Like I am safer performing comedy than I am going to work every day. Yeah. So why would I not do it? So I was throughout the pandemic, I was performing. I mean, and it was mostly outdoor shows. It was, those parking lot shows with people in the cars, but I didn't like Zoom. I didn't want. I did one Zoom show, and I was like, "This isn't for me." Yeah. You know, make it as good as you want to, but it's not for me, especially when the real thing is there and I can do it. And and I did. And I think the only time that there was ever really a break is after um, after the George Floyd incident, June that year, uh, like from June, from like mid June to maybe August 2020, there weren't really any shows. Everybody, because there was, um, that's when they had the, uh, uh, the curfews going on, like out, outside of here. We didn't really have that, but San Antonio had a curfew and Laredo and all these other towns had curfews and stuff. But around the Austin area, like Johnson City, Fredericksburg, Taylor, like all these, uh, Bastrop, like there were people putting on shows. Even in town, there were people putting on shows and there weren't a lot of comics. Yeah. Which meant my phone rang a lot, which meant I went and, did a bunch of stuff and that let me have the opportunity to like get my hour good. I had already been working it on the road and then it was like, well, now I can't go on the road, but I can still headline all these shows and, and really work this thing out. And all that work I did turned into family man. So, uh, it wasn't optimal, but I think I, and to be honest with you, this would, uh, no, but the little there, that. I've never had COVID. Never got it once. No. So I was like, you know what? I, I it, just looking back, like, I can't say that I made the wrong decision. Yeah. I, I clearly took the steps necessary to keep myself safe and everybody else safe around me. But I mean, I never had it. Also, haven't shaved my pubic hair in three years. That might have some. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that might be what the reason I haven't got it is because I got pre-COVID Bush. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all these, all these shave people—they're all out here walking around with the COVID dick, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mathematician, and I, you know, I could do a study. <laughs> There's no need. There's no I need. feel like if I started asking my comedy wham guests, shaved or not shaved, COVID or not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet you find out all the not shaved, Kobe free. <laughs> oh my god! That's a filter. Y'all didn't even know that yeah. was, it was keeping it away. Who knew? Who um, knew? That's the source. <laughs> In my world, that's how it works. Uh, okay, so the idea for doing the the hour special, Family Man, started before COVID, mm-hmm. and you've just been working because you had one special in 2019. That was, you did. yeah, and it never was released. Mm. Uh, and it was the, essentially the same material. And uh, the video was unusable. Huh. 
And I didn't want to just release just the audio. Yeah. And in addition to that, I wasn't exactly happy with it, hmm. uh, especially because after I recorded it, like the very next show I did, I was in Abilene and I had rearranged the order of the set and it flowed so much better. Uh. And I was like, ew, to what I had just recorded. Uh. So there was that. And then the, the video was trash. So we never released it. So that was like I, that that was already I need to make this happen, but then COVID happens and I can't re-record it. Yeah. So. Huh. So it's all good signs from, you know, whatever the universe. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could have probably recorded it earlier, but I didn't think I. W- My mind was in a different place. Yeah. Like I know I want. I knew I wanted to redo it. I knew I needed to record that material and. And make and, sure the video. And make was- sure the video was. Not, you know, because I just got a comic that had a four, like a high def camera. It's like, hey, you got oh, like yeah. a couple cameras. Like, yeah, but, you know, he didn't know anything about lighting or even let me know that if I move outside of this box on the stage that I wouldn't be lit at all. Yeah. So, like, I didn't know those things. And, and so the footage just wasn't very good. Uh, but, yeah, so I was, I, I recorded it in 2019 and then it just kind of sat there. And, and, uh, and then after that, I had been performing it throughout the pandemic and then going back on the road the new way mm-hmm. and with, with the changed up the order and then more material stuff started coming you know about my family and all that started filling in all of that and uh i was like yeah we gotta we gotta get this now because it was getting some of the stuff is like it's getting too far away from it and i don't feel that way anymore yeah so it was like i need to get this in the can but, uh, you know, having the pandemic happen sucked because I didn't get to record it again in 2020 and then get it out there. But it gave me the chance to really sit in that material and really, like, milk it for everything I can get out of it. And, I mean, if we look at it, I could probably squeeze more stuff in. But I think I maximized uh, that story to the mm-hmm. to the most it could be maximized. Yeah. So it definitely gave me enough time to, to, to get the most out of that material. Yeah. And recording at East Austin, it's a, I mean, that's a gorgeous, I, that red mm-hmm. curtain in the background. It's a gorgeous backdrop. It's a small room. Uh, it's, it has a really good feel. Yes. You do, you are animated on stage. Is that stage too small for you? Do you, do you like to grow into big stages? I like a big stage. Um, but I also really love... An intimate room. Yeah. I really, oh, for this this special is perfect. That's yes. like, you're right. That's exactly because of the way that you have the intro. It's very, you know, that's that's an intimate and very personal sentiment that you're sharing, and then you know you're telling stories from, you know, your life. Mm-hmm. It's it's the perfect setting. Uh, but I couldn't help but wonder, as the you know the the person who likes to study things, is, it felt like. Does he like the small stage or does he like the the big stage so he can be really animated and move? I, man, when I was younger, I loved the big stage when I was younger. Uh Um, At the end of the special, there is, uh, in the post-credit, there's uh, clips of me performing at the House of Blues Sunset Station in San Antonio 2006. And that's a huge stage. There's 750 people there. Yeah. Huge outdoor stage. And I was all over that stage. Huh. And uh, and 
I mean, because I was very, very animated when I was uh, a younger comedian. Yeah. And now I don't need the big stage huh. as much. I'm, I've found ways to um, fill up the space on it with without having to actually physically move all around it. Um, huh. I used to be a big yeah. pacer for a while. I would pace back yeah. and forth on the stage. Uh, now, nowadays, and and Justin, my uh, my partner, helped me put that helped me with it. Um, Justin Palermo, JJ Bootleg on Instagram. Uh, he shot it, directed all that stuff. The special. He was under the impression that I was going to be sitting down for the majority of the special. Uh-huh. And I was like, and when we recorded, he's like, I thought you were going to be sitting. And I was like, no, I can't sit for this material. <laughs> like, like that's, this isn't how I tell that story. But nowadays, if you see me perform, I'm mostly sitting. Huh. I sit a lot. And so I don't need that big stage, a yeah. small stage. And maybe that's just a thing that happened because I was performing on a lot of small stages. So figuring out how to feel bigger on a smaller stage. But now I'm just very comfortable, like, sitting down and then, like, simple gestures can then amplify a story as opposed to having to run around. Like, if I, instead of, like, getting real loud and getting animated, I can simply just stand up. And that shows that, you know, that, you know, it's like, that's crazy where I don't have to do those things anymore because I feel like Tom Brady. Like, (laughs) I don't have to run around like Mike Vick. I can just take a step to the side and dump it off. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, yeah, but I, once I realized I can, I can portray or relay a lot of emotion or energy with just a simple gesture as standing up and raising my voice a little bit, it's like, oh, shit. Like, I, I, I like that. That also brings everybody else in, and I really enjoy – right now, I really enjoy a small stage. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. So I'm probably going to record another album in the next couple months. Oh. And I'm looking at – another small stage trying to find another small stage where i can um where i can sit and be able to do all those things uh so (coughs) excuse me uh i love a big stage but right now like oh my mindset's like i don't give a damn how many people are in front of me you're gonna get the same show Uh whether whether it's a thousand or it's 10 uh, you're gonna get the same energy the same show uh it's just a matter of do I need to be big and move around and run around and all that? If I do, that's easy. Or do I need to sit down and and let's bring it in and let's yeah, all yeah. fill it on a different level? I can do that too. That's easy. Uh, so right now, I, I right now I'll say small stages. I enjoy a small stage. East Austin is a great small stage. Uh, but I would love if anybody's listening. I would love to be on a really big stage. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me up. I got you. You know what I'm saying? I think the last big stage I did was Aztec Theater. And yeah, that's the last big stage I did. Aztec Theater in San Antonio. And that was like 2019, 2020, Mm. right before the pandemic. So it was, uh, that's the last time. But uh, if we're... My favorite, my favorite performance space here in Austin was Santa Cruz. I loved that Mm. stage. Uh, It was a big theater type stage. But it was a small, a small enough room. It only sat like yeah. 100 to 150. So it wasn't like a massive crowd type deal, but it felt intimate with a big stage. There was a lot of room yeah. to move around there, and I love that huh. about that place. Is uh, You had a big stage, but not a big room. And I, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I love that room. I wish they'd bring it back. Well, 
I, I can't remember uh, what where that address is and what's replaced it. Twenty seven eleven East Seventh Street. Yeah. Santa Cruz. It was right next to the Planned Parenthood. No, no, yeah, no, I know where it was, but I don't remember what has replaced. Oh, it. I know they they closed it down for renovation, and I don't know that they're reopening it. Because mm. I know that's it was maybe twenty twenty one at the end of twenty twenty one they closed it for renovation. Oh yeah, and I looked it up the other day to see like what their schedules like or whatnot, and and there was nothing there when I looked it up, and I was like, oh man, I hope they're not gone because that was such a great space to perform. Yeah, I loved it as a performance space. Maybe not a fan of all the stuff they did comedy wise there when they started running comedy out of there. Yeah, but as a space, Space. I love that space. I love the energy of that place. I mean. Uh, yeah, that, I loved Santa Cruz. That was my favorite place to perform in town. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I hope you find, like, the perfect, perfect space to, to do, do that special. That means you're writing a lot if you, I mean, you just released this one and you're, you're, you've written enough new stuff that you're ready to record another one. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't think it was going to happen. The writing. Can you I, imagine? It's all got, come back to the writing. Man, you know what? Ah. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, so I, I didn't think I was going to be recording anything else anytime soon. I really didn't. After we got done with that, it's like, yeah. it took me years to write that. And I, I didn't have any dreams of seven months later going, I'm going to record another one. <laughs> that was not how this was planned. But I went on tour when, uh, right when Family Man was dropping. I was on tour and I came back the day before the release. And uh, and before I left to go on tour, I was talking to Tone Bell, and I said to him, I, uh, I said, when I'm on the road, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to write 30 new minutes, come back with a new 30 minutes of material, Ooh. and he was like, Nah. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, Don't do that. He's like, You're going on the road. You're going places you've never been before. Let the stage take care of the stage. Don't worry about it. Go out there and live. Go out there and experience these places that you've never been before. Uh-huh. He said, I guarantee you, if you go out there and just live and soak it in, you'll get 30 minutes from that better than you would from trying to come up with 30 on stage. Yeah. So I did. I went out on the road. I was gone two weeks, and, and I just lived, and I experienced all these places I had never been before. And when I came home, I was like, yeah, I didn't get 30 minutes, but I had a pretty good time. And next thing you know is I'm trying to think of things to talk about from the tour, you know, like stuff I would open my set with. It was like, oh, well, that's a good story. Oh, that's a good story, too. That, that's another good story. <laughs> and next thing you know, I was like, I might, I might be able to, you know, maybe get maybe five, ten minutes out of this. And yeah. I did, um, Kat Ramzimski had her storytelling show last month. And I did that show. And I did 22 minutes. And I'd only gotten through the first stop in the tour. And I was like, well, shit. <laughs> wow. There's like seven more stops after this that I didn't get to. Yeah. And I got 22 out of that. Maybe if I sat down and actually really wrote this shit out, I might be able to. So that's what I started doing and ran working with Rochelle on, with it. And, uh, and it's like, oh, I could actually do this. Like, and it doesn't have to be like maybe a full hour. It's just, yeah. But I would love to record this recanting of that story and, and tell the story of that tour. And whether it's 40 minutes or an hour, I don't really care. But I just yeah. want to tell this story. So that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna tell the story, and um, I, don't, I don't know what to do. But I took a lot of footage when I was on the road, 
because I was planning on using it for another project. <coughs> and then I said, uh, well, if I record this thing and I'm telling the stories, well, for the video component, like we can fill that in with all the oh, footage yeah. that I that I took. So as I'm telling the stories, you can actually see what I was talking about. Uh-huh. You can actually see us at the house party in Nebraska drinking the tequila with the scorpion in it. <laughs> like, you can actually see that. Yeah. Or you can actually see when we went to George Floyd's memorial, you can actually see the pictures of George Floyd's memorial and actually see the activists that were still there. And I recorded one of them talking to us and asked if that was cool. She's like, yeah, of course. And I can show that yeah. clip of her talking about you know, the strife that they're still going through up there. Yeah. Uh, I can show Mount Rushmore and Crazy Horse. I can show all these crazy things that I saw while I'm talking about them on stage. Not live, but in, right. the, in the video, you can then see all those things. And it's like, I would rather do that than, than, uh, than anything right now. To be honest, oh. I'd rather do that. Like, that's, that's fun to me. That's different. Um, and, and, and I kind of want to lean into the storytelling side uh, uh, that I started with. And and just tell these stories, and uh-huh. it's not all going to be fall on the floor funny. I mean, there's it's hard to make really funny jokes when you're talking about going to George Floyd's memorial because yeah. uh, that's it's heavy. It was really heavy there. Uh, but 15 minutes later, after we left there, we were at Margaritaville in Mall of America, and that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like like how crazy is it to go from like this heavy sorrowful thing like the, the energy there when you're standing at the place where where it happened when you're standing there and you feel that and you're talking to his I'm talking to his aunt and the activist there and then Jimmy Buffett's playing in the background and I'm drinking a strawberry margarita <laughs> yeah. that's crazy looking at kids on a roller coaster it's like how does that happen yeah. you know that juxtap- that juxtaposition but uh uh, I mean, it's my experiences. Nobody else had it and nobody else can tell it. So yeah. why not share it and then also show everybody like it may only it may not do anything at all. It might not go anywhere, but I still want to do it. Yeah. I still I want mean, to. there's there's 30,000 views on, on your first one. So people are interested in you. Yeah. And with I no mean, promotion too. what? Yeah, that's all word of mouth, girl. Yeah. That's, right. That's yeah. insane to me, by the way. Insane yeah. to me. Yeah. So if you come out with something else, you know, in, in relatively short order, and it's got this cool element to it, yeah. The way you were describing it, I started thinking about John Leguizamo's latest special, where he kind of did that. You know, he's he's telling you stories, but then he's got, you know, the chalkboard. Oh, I love that special. The history yeah, one, Latin yeah. history. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, he's such a great storyteller. Yeah, and so are you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm getting there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet, but well, I'm getting there. You're working on it though. You're you're I mean, you figured out you figured out Aaron's formula. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the most important thing. Yeah, that's and I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of comics to understand is that you have to go through those periods of figuring it out. You have to allow yourself to figure it out and not and not get too down on yourself that like why isn't yeah. this shit working or you know, why can't I get consistent laughs or, you know, whatever it might be. We have to go through those things to figure out who we are. You're going to talk about a lot of shit that the audience doesn't want to hear you talk about. Yeah. Until you figure out what they do want to hear you talk about and where that matches up with what you actually want to talk about. You know, like there's a, there's a, there's a lot there that takes a lot of time. And I'm going to say his name again. 
I mean, I swear to God, I am not. <laughs> I'm going to say his name again because he, because so when I, early on, Carlos Mencia was the first person, like the first name that actually like sat me down and like spit game to me huh. and told me about this. And he said, still everybody's shit. Um, not just- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? You said it? <laughs> no, no, no. No, but I have had somebody steal my shit. And, oh. I, and, I, and, I, and that's what, that is the main reason that I have that post credit scene on the end. The family guy is just, just a little on the nose. Like, here's the original version of that joke that this person is selling tickets using. Um, but Carlos told me, uh, don't be in a hurry. It's going to take time. He said, usually it takes seven to 10 years for you to find your voice where you get to the point that you can be in a conversation and know exactly how to formulate this into something that you can take on stage. Hmm. And he's like, he's like, any conversation I'm in, I can figure out a way to my formula to do that. He said, it takes seven to 10 years. So don't think that you're there now. Don't rush to get there. You have to go through all these steps, all these learning experiences, and that light will come on. Some people faster, some people longer, but it'll come on. Mm-hmm. And and then he told me to steal jokes. And <laughs> <laughs> offer me a spot on mine and see ya. I was like, I'm not stealing jokes. Carl was like, well, then I got a midget. Oh. <laughs> but, I mean, like, he, he, he said that to me very early on. It's something that I've always remembered. And it's something that I always try to pass on yeah. to other young comedians. Like, don't be in a rush. You're not there yet. And although what you're doing right now might be killing or it might not be working, like you're going to grow and you're going to change. And what you're doing now, five years from now, you're going to be like, ew, I can't believe. Yeah. You know, kind of like when we look back at our yearbook pictures, I can't believe I had those bangs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't How did believe, you know? You're right. <laughs> I can't believe I was wearing those baggy pants and the cross color. Sh- you know, we look back and it's the same thing as comics. Like when you, as you get you know, more mature, you look back and go, Ugh, that's cringy. Yeah. And, and you have to go through that in order to find your, your final form or whatnot, like yeah. in order to get to that point. Uh, so just having that in the back of my mind, like I'm not there yet. Yeah. It's okay. Cause all the stuff I'm doing now is going to lead to me getting there. It made it so much easier for me to go through all the trials and the tribulations and all the backsliding and for all the back and forth and all that because i knew that that this is all part of the journey and we have to experience this to find that voice yeah for sure yeah shout out carlos for that but you know the rest of it (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i i want to start wrapping us up Uh, one of the things we haven't really at all touched is what happened after COVID to the Austin comedy scene, which you've, you know, obviously been a witness to the scene before Mm -hmm. and the scene after. And I really hope that all those new comics listen to what you just said, because I fear that a lot of them think, ah, you know, I did kill Tony. I got it. Yeah. It's going to be instantaneous and they just need to be remembered. Remember that even, even a, a Casey Rocket, even a Tony Casillas, you know, those names, it didn't, it hasn't happened overnight. There's, right. There was a lot of work that was put in mm-hmm. to reach, um, you know, the attention that the, that they're getting as, as Austin Comics. So, The scene now is very different. Um, uh, and I know, like, there's, there, there's a contention of people that, you know, maybe aren't thrilled with how it is right now mm-hmm. um, and how much has changed. 
for me personally, I feel like I have more opportunities now than I did before. Uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to bag on anybody or anything, but like, I mean, I was here for years and I couldn't get on stage. Yeah. And it's not like I just got funny in the last two years. Right. I, I've been here for years and, um, I went on the, I went on the road because I couldn't get on stage here. Yeah. I couldn't get a lot of opportunities here. Um, and if I did, it was like for nothing, you know? <clears throat> so then I started just treating Austin like it was my gym. Mm -hmm. And I would just, like, I would go to Gatsby where I knew I could go up there and Chad Fisher is a terrible host. So he'll put me on stage for a seven minute spot and then go outside and smoke a couple cigarettes and drink and, at the end, of, he'll come and light me at like 17 minutes. And it's like, oh I knew that was going to happen. So it was yeah. like, I'm going to go here and I can work out my stuff at places like this yeah. where, yeah, I know I'm, I'm going to get 20 minutes to work some stuff out and then go on the road and then do it there. Yeah. Uh, right now, though, I, I, I don't have to go on the road as much. Now you got, what, six venues all within a short small like radius eight blocks from each yeah. other or something like yeah yeah like I, I you don't have to you don't have to go on the road if you don't want to uh mm -hmm. because now there's more opportunity here and there's more access here you know i feel like before um now if somebody's like there's a big name coming into town or even just people that are like solid working comedians that are on the road coming through like i have access to them in a way that i didn't before where i could just be downtown hanging out at the creek in the cave and then so-and-so walks in yeah. and it's like oh you know and then i can uh, i can go sit down with them and have a casual conversation yeah. you know and it's not a big thing it's just like you know it, and i don't feel like for most of us in the austin scene that that was a possibility before you know the the influx of california yeah uh, <laughs> i was trying to find a pc yeah. way to say it but the fucking californias yeah, came around but pretty much. um but that wasn't that wasn't realistic for me before yeah. uh to be a, or a lot of people to be able to 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 sit down with a, a touring headliner and just kick it mm -hmm. you know and just feel their energy see see what you know hear the conversations they have you know how they view the world, how they view comedy, they, what are their practices and stuff. Yeah. Like that, that, that wasn't something I was able to do before. Right now I can though. I can any day of the week go see anybody I want. And, and that's really cool. And I, cool. as a young comic, that is, that is a great thing to have at your disposal. And I, th I, don't, I hope that they're not taking it for granted. The, the, the fact that they have the ability and the possibility of like, Going somewhere and running into Brian Simpson and talking to him. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't get to talk to him, getting to watch him work, you know, yeah. getting to watch Tony Casillas work, getting to watch Casey Rocket, right? Like getting to see Dave J and all these great comics that we have here in town yeah. that you, they're within eight blocks of each other. You can go. I'm not even talking about going and performing on three or four shows a night, which you could if you really wanted to do it. Yeah. It's much easier now than it was back in the day. I remember trying to get three shows in Austin. It was like go from North Austin yeah. to Central Austin to East Austin. Like, you know, it was you're going to spend an hour and a half in the car trying to get to all three shows. Yeah. Uh, but now it's literally you can walk and do three shows. But even better, you can watch three shows in one night at three different venues. And I can't tell you the number of times in the past couple months that I – go places and I don't 
I'm not trying to get on stage. I just want to watch, uh-huh. you know? I just want to see and, and feel and see these people work. And that's a, that is an option that wasn't available before to watch high-level comedy performed on a regular basis by a number of different comedians. You can learn so much right now in this scene yeah. just yep. by going and watching shows. You don't even have to get on the damn show. Just <laughs> go watch, and there's enough learn. for you to learn. Yeah. Like, And for me, I'm, a th- I'm thirsty for knowledge. I'm curious. <laughs> right? and, and I know that there's always things that – there's people that like – like Derek Poston, that dude right there, I'm not a comedian when he's on stage. I'm just another person watching him in awe yeah. of like how he's able to do what he does. Like he, he, he's like somebody I watch and I just, I'm mouth agape the whole huh. time. Just this dude is amazing, right? Ty Rivera, watching Ty do his thing. And it's just like, I'm in the back. Let's just, no, he didn't. Like, you know, like. <laughs> Like, and it's like, that happens far more regularly than I can remember it happening ever before, where I can just sit there and just enjoy great comedy. Yeah. And like, like watching Derek, I go, oh, I got to step my game up in that. Hmm. Oh, I see how he's doing that. Oh, that's, I like the way he does that. I wonder if I can do something like that. You know, there's like, or you know what? I could probably use something like that in this bit I have. I like that you get to see so many different styles and so many people that are operating in these styles that you've never done before or I've never done before. And it's like, man, I didn't even know that was a thing you can do. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Bill Hicks, I was already doing comedy the first time I saw Bill Hicks and I'm, my friend showed it to me. We watched like the first, we watched two specials. And I remember sitting there with like my mind blown <laughs> thinking you can do that on stage. Why am I not Very doing different. that? Why am I not doing it? Why did I not think of, like, you can just do that? You can just talk like that? It was mind-blowing to me. Yeah. And I still get that way today. I can go downtown right now and go watch a couple shows, and I'll see something that's like, Casey Rock, and like, you can do that? You can just be a fucking crab on stage? <laughs> you can just pull pictures out your yeah. pocket? Like, <laughs> I love Casey. That's my dude. I love that dude to death. But it's like, there's so many people here. There's so many opportunities now that we didn't have before to not just perform, but to learn and build a community, yeah. you know, like, and so I'm a big fan of what's happening uh, in Austin right now. It's as, as a comedy enthusiast, not just a comedian, but a comedy enthusiast, somebody that's been in love with this shit for my whole life, you know, like I can't think of, there might be a better place, but I don't know where it's at. Yeah. I haven't been there yet, but this is the best place for me to be at any night of the week. I can just show up somewhere and see somebody do some, Great comedy and be in awe. Like, what more can you ask for? Yeah. It's a great sound bite, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we should use that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Come I to have, Austin yeah, and then just Austin. play that. Yeah. That's right. No, That's don't right. come. You stay where you're yes, at. Yes, <laughs> we've got, we've had, we have enough. I can't keep up with all the people I have to interview. Um, all right, we we are not going to do this no! because I ha- well I have a teenager who wants to practice driving. Got so you. I gotta. I'm gonna. Mm. All right, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with my closing question. Okay. One word to describe your future. Bright. <laughs> Is there anything we we uh, we haven't covered that you want? Uh, nah, man. I think. 
I think we leave it open so that way I have to come back. You come back, exactly. You got to promote special number two. We got to promote special number yeah. two. I got to. And promote. you know that if you ask, it happens. The squeaky wheel. Squeaky wheel. Squeaky wheel. Aaron, Maybe squeaky wheel, cheat him. That's what we're gonna call this episode. Squeaky wheel. Boom. Done and done. Look at this. <laughs> hey, look efficiency. Me. Efficiency. All right. Now I feel bad. Okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> no, you have a teenager that has to find this one. Okay. Well, I'll read that one. Ooh, this could get. I've been a poor friend too. Dot dot dot. Oh man, I've been a poor friend to my wife sometimes. Oh no. Oh yeah, that's the first thing that popped up uh. when you said that. Uh, I, I've. Then you need to get home. <laughs> no, we're good. Uh, this this is what she needs. <laughs> Me to be away. Uh, I, I feel like I've been a poor friend to my oh. wife sometimes. Like, um, I could I that. That's something I can be better at. Huh. I can be a better friend to her. Like, you know, we were partners and all that, but like, uh, I maybe haven't been the best friend hmm. that I could be to her. And that's something that I should work on. I'm not saying I will, but it's something that I should work on. <laughs> promise me you will try. Uh, I'll consider it. <laughs> I promise that. <laughs> I promise I'll consider it. Uh, right. Your question. I've been faking. That's it? I've yep. been faking? Dot, dot, dot. I've been faking. Oh, God. Hmm. That's a tough one because I'm, I'm a terrible liar, I, I'm, so I can't fake much of anything. Um, <laughs> I've been faking liking somebody at work. <laughs> I can say that. Yo. <laughs> That's so real. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Hey, uh, <laughs> on this bitch. Uh, hey, girl. Hey. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. Okay. <laughs> <That's so good. laughs> I love that answer. Because <laughs> we've all done. Oh uh-huh. man. I'm, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. I've been faking loving my. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I'm joking. No, on that note, that is a wrap on Comedy 100%. Aaron Cheatham, tell, tell us where we can find you on social media. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. Everything is underscore Aaron Cheatham, at underscore Aaron Cheatham, and Aaron Cheatham on Facebook. And please uh, go check out the special family man on YouTube, underscore Aaron Cheatham. You can find me. Just type in Aaron Cheatham. Uh, but, yeah, that's where you can find me there. Please go watch Family Man. It's very, very good. I mean, if, if my endorsement means anything to anybody out there, it's very, very good. I'm only halfway through, so. Well, you got to finish the rest. I will finish the rest. It's waiting for me to, to watch. Well, then we should wrap this up so you can go drive a car and then go finish watching it. <laughs> exactly. I wanna, can I say thank you? Thank you for having me on. Like, I really appreciate. Uh, this has been a great conversation, and yeah. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. Thank yeah. you so much. Me too. All right. Well, hold on, because I got more lines. No! I'm, yeah, we hope you you've enjoyed learning about how Aaron got to be the comedic genius you heard today just as much as I have and I consider this one one of my master class editions which if you've been listening you kind of know that that's you know it means there's a lot of educational gems throughout this has been Comedy Wham presents Aaron Cheatham I'm Valerie and that's been funny thank you Aaron thank you so much